Welcome to the Mindset Mile podcast, the show that'll leave you empowered to take action towards becoming the turned up version of your already awesome self. I'm your host, Aisha Zaza, and I'm so glad you're here. Let's go. Hey fam, welcome back to another episode of the Mindset Mile podcast. I'm so excited to have Sean Ziegler join us on the show. I know that you're going to be obsessed over this conversation because I'm so fascinated by everything that Sean does and all he has to share. So I'm going to, Sean, I'm going to let you take it away and say hi to the Mindset Mile audience. Tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, all the things. Yeah. Thank you for having me on first off, but I guess what I do, it's always a interesting question to answer because it's not really one specific thing. I don't really view my life from like a business or career or anything. Like to me, I just live and I do what I, I feel like I really am called to do. Um, where that's led me right now is I'm building a company called Upspace. And Upspace, the best way to visualize it and where it's heading is kind of like Spotify plus Discord, but for health. And so I'm, I'm 100% focused on that. But the grand plan and like re- really fulfills me, what really drives me is just trying to reconnect humanity back with nature. Because I think as a society, we've really lost touch from where we've came from. And we've started to see ourselves as, you know, there's animals, there's plants, there's earth, there's nature, and then there's humans in this other class. So Upspace is a vehicle for that in terms of like our health, like realigning our health back with nature, getting rid of the fake stuff, giving a platform for sharing information, for sharing resources so that we can, you know, take initiative and be more part of nature, you know, whatever that might look like. So that, that I would say is really what, what in the grand scale, what I do is I'm just trying to reconnect humanity back with nature, really. Okay. And so you're going to do that by... With through this fitness app, though, is and that's the community that you want to build on this fitness app. And tell us a little bit more, also, while you're on Upspace, exactly like what is it? What can a user expect? What can a trainer expect from um, downloading and starting to use the Upspace app? Yeah, so you know, it's evolved over time. It's uh, we've had some changes, we've had some updates to really just try to hit exactly what our users want and what we think is going to serve the people the best. Um, as it's evolved, essentially how it works is, and I say Spotify plus Discord because it's very, you know, similar into how it's evolving. But think about, you know, Spotify, it has all these different songs and all these different artists and all these different playlists that people created. And every single user wants a different song or they want a different, you know, playlist. They want, they have different taste in music. Health is similar to that extent in the sense that it's a little bit different for everybody, right? Some people are vegan. Some people are carnivore-based. Some people love CrossFit. Some people love Pilates. You know, it's very different. Some people meditate. Some people walk. Um, And likewise, you also have this pool of all these creators, right? You have all these artists in terms of Spotify or sharing songs and want to get out there to the world. In the health and wellness space, you have all these creators or companies that are creating content, recipes, meditations, workouts, just information as well. And Spotify did a great job of bringing that all together. So as a user, you can go to one platform and just get whatever song you want and listen to whatever it is. And then those artists get paid based on that, right? With Upspace, as it's evolving, 
and we haven't talked much about this issue, but as it's evolving, it's going to be, it's very similar to that in the sense you can go to Upspace and access all sorts of content from all sorts of creators, whatever it is that you're looking for, workouts, meditations, recipes, information, whatever it might be. Those are our songs. And then where it gets really cool because, you know, a personal thing that's really important to me and really important to health is social and community. Um, mm-hmm. So that's where the Discord part comes in. So around all this content, anybody can go in there and create their own community, their own group. We call it an upspace around that content. So Asia, for example, you can create an upspace for your community, your audience, your listeners, whatever it is around your content. I can create an upspace for my family. And then we can access all the content and participate in it together. A gym can create an upspace, a community for their gym. And then all their members can check out what else is on upspace and kind of c- compete within it on the digital world. So that's really what, how it's becoming and that's how it's evolving. And uh, yeah, we believe it's going to be something special. I fully agree with you that it's going to be something special. And I have seen that from the very beginning, which is how you and I first met was through a connection, a mutual friend, right? That connected us um, and saw me as a good fit to create an upspace as a trainer. And you are a co-founder of this, of this brilliant app. So that is originally how we first met, but I'm super excited to launch my upspace later this year um, and to also cultivate that that exact community that you are talking about. So um, I just applaud your vision for realizing that there was nothing like this in the marketplace. There truly isn't. And I'm excited for to see all that it becomes. Thank you. Yeah. I'm excited for your upspace to get out there. I mean, I've, I've been a believer in, in your community, especially for all the mothers or, or want, want soon to be mothers or want to be mothers and just all, all, all women or anyone. So I'm excited for, for you to get your community out there. I think it's going to serve a lot of people. Okay. So shifting gears a little bit, a few months ago, you did something that I don't know any other person probably in my lifetime that will ever do this. Um, (laughs) and I'm sure not many people have in the world. You embarked on a 40 day water only fast. How did that idea even come about? Like what called you to start this fast? Yeah, to be honest, a lot of people ask me this question. Um, and it was very, very just intuitive in the sense, I don't even fully know what it was, but it was just like randomly I had this like intuition or this thing that popped in my mind or, or my heart or whatever it is that was like, you're going to do a 40 day fast. And I was like, okay. Like it was very, I was like, all right, I'm doing this. Like it wasn't thought out. It wasn't planned. It wasn't like, I got to challenge myself. Like I've done those challenges. I've done 75 hard. I've done different fitness challenges or whatever. It wasn't like that at all. It was just very like, this is happening. And I was, I was just like, okay. And literally two weeks later, I just started it with no research, no plan, no nothing. It was just like, okay, I'm, I'm doing this. And yeah, I, so it's hard to even say like what came from it. Like, I don't, I don't, there was no, like you said, not many people have done it. So it wasn't like anyone inspired me to do it yeah. or told me or like, I didn't see anything online. Like, and that influenced me. It was very, just this gut feel that I, obviously enough that I couldn't ignore to the point where, where I, I did it. 
I should also say to those listening, I'm not suggesting that anybody do this, <laughs> but we have a lot. We have a lot to learn from the perspective you've gained through doing this, and I think it's incredibly fascinating. And that's what I want to. That's what I want to talk about. So, please do not go and do a 40 day fast after listening to this, unless you are fully compelled and ready. And, um, but I'm so I'm curious. So you had this gut feeling that you needed to embark on this fast. What kind of feedback did you get from people about it? Because you obvi- you started sharing it about it on social media, right? You were doing like daily kind of journal entries and like talking about how day one went, how day two went. What kind of feedback were you getting from people online and in person? Yeah. So initially I didn't really tell anybody that I was going to do it. Just the people I lived with, because obviously, you know, they're, they're living with me. We're doing dinners. Um, and then I think a few family members, I don't think anyone really believed me. They're like, okay, whatever. Um, but then once I started it and I started sharing online, once again, not, I didn't really want to share online. I just understood that there could be positive byproduct of sharing online, but it wasn't the intention at all. And a lot of people were just like, you got to share this. Like you got to document this. You got to journal it. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll, I will. But once I did, um, and that was the first 13 days that I did originally, I mean, I got hundreds of messages sending me like, you're going to die. You're like, this is impossible. You're insane. Like all sorts of things. And a lot, especially from loved ones who rightfully so kind of feared for me. They were like, this is crazy. Um, like you can't do this, please don't do this. Um, so it was all, I would say about from 99% of the people, all very negative feedback (laughs) about doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, but I just kind of ignored it. It was out of love. It was out of love, of course, like their, their feedback, but yeah, I can imagine that it would make it incredibly challenging because this is not something that you're doing, um, to lose weight or it was not like a physical fitness challenge. This sounded kind of more of like a spiritual cleansing and like a rebirth as I know you've called it. Um, so I, I am eager to talk about that, but I do think that, you know, it's important to note that a lot of the pushback was probably out of just love and concern. (laughs) For sure. No doubt. Like it was all out of love and concern. So I understand that. And at first I try to just like logically it's explain to people how like the fear mongering or the negative things actually don't like give love. Like when people are, are operating out of fear or giving advice out of fear or giving like negative things, it's, it's like the opposite of love, even though the intention might be out of love because in order to give love, you have to have an element of hope. Hope is like a precursor to love and fear is the opposite of hope. So I, and I, I originally try to like rationalize that, like particularly like my mom and stuff was like, you, if you really, I know this is out of love, but you are not doing that. Like, this is not love what you were providing me, but I did like understand the perspective. It was just like, she was scared, rightfully so. Like uh, it, me putting myself in her shoes, I'd be horrified. Um, so yeah, it was out of love, but it was not, it didn't transmute. It didn't give love, I guess, if that makes sense. It did. And you speak very wisely about coming from a place of love. And I'm curious 
to know if that is a perspective you had before doing the cleanse, or is this something that you've kind of learned in retrospect? Like the the fear and love, or the just the, the, the way the way that you identify coming from a place of love. You you saw, let's say for example, your mom's feedback on what you were doing. You could have just looked at it as, oh, this is out of fear, right? But instead of thinking and believing and talking about it, like, Hey, this was just like completely out of fear. You associate her response as unloving. And I know that you are on a mission to spread love and lead with love. And I was just curious a little bit about how like this philosophy came about. Was this something that, is this kind of how you felt about people's feedback and to other things in life, you know, whether that was directly to you or how people responded to other things in the world. Did you always look at it like, man, they're missing the boat because they're not leading with love? Or did you just think like, okay, they have an opinion and they have a, a strong opinion about it and they want to share it? How, how did this like philosophy of love kind of come about? Was that a pre-fast thing or is that a post-fast retrospect? I think I think it was pre. I think post fast just gave a wide, like, insane example of it because it was like so, like, filled with this fear. And I was, you know, I was, I guess, aware enough to know that, like, like I had no grudges against people who are sending me, me this stuff. You know, I, so I was aware of that. It wasn't like I'm angry at these people for sending me negativity because I was aware it was out of love. But if you're trying to do something out of love, like the intention is to actually like give love, right? To actually make someone feel that. And there, it's impossible to do that through that fear, right? So I think it was a philosophy for me from before because I always, even at a young age, never made sense how so many people lived in this fear state and made a lot of decisions from that fear-based mindset, which is, you know, somewhat scarcity mindset, but also just like fear, like, like I'm, a, I'm afraid of this outcome that hasn't even existed yet, like death or, or whatever it might be, or something way smaller. So I'm going to make a decision based on that fear, but it's an irrational fear because this thing doesn't exist. Like it doesn't, it hasn't happened. Right. So you're going to make a bad decision based on that fear versus making one with like hope or optimism and making out of that decision, that's going to bring to more clarity in your mind to make the right decision, which is actually going to lead to a better outcome than the one from fear. So I had that mindset before. Um, but, but I think this fast just was like, whoa, this is like so clear. Cause I received it on the other end where all these people were doing things out of love, which I was aware from, but I did not receive any love. Like it was like the, it was like, this is not love. Like this is not gonna, this is not, not good for me, even though I know you intend good for me. But I think we should align those things, right? If you intend good for me, then you should present that thing in the thing that's actually good for me. And in no scenario is fear actually good for somebody. Lessons are like lessons to be learned, but not not fear is is kind of my philosophy. And I think I've had it for for a long time. Yeah. It may have been actually I was I have had a few like near death experiences. And maybe it was from that because once you have, and I see this with other people who have too, when you have like a wild, like kind of near-death experience, you almost oftentimes don't fear death anymore because you get so close to it and you're like, oh, you know, like it's it's less scary. I I don't know what it is. So I think from 
previous experiences like that led me to not fear the ultimate fear, which seems to be death, right? So then maybe that that shifted, but that was well prior to the fast where I adopted that. What would you say was the hardest part of the 40 days? I would say the hardest part was that, to be honest, it, it wasn't even the no food. It was it was the messages from like loved ones because I didn't at the same time, like I now knew they were in fear and fear leads to stress, stress leads to inflammation, inflammation leads to disease, right? So I'm like causing fear to other people. And I was like, that was not my intention. Like, I did not want to cause fear to my mom, my family and other people. So having to know that I was causing fear, but I just knew I had to do this anyway, that was probably the hardest thing because it was just a negative outcome of it, which which got resolved throughout it. But uh, in the beginning, I would say that was definitely the hardest part. I think most people were expecting you to say, well, on day 32, I began to feel very hungry. <laughs> um, I, I actually, it's, it's interesting to me, like to hear you talk about how like the biggest obstacles were not that you were without food and that you were, you know, becoming weak or, you know, like close to not being able to move anymore. I, I mean, I saw you throughout like the entire thing and you were definitely working and, you know, continuing on with life. And I think that's really, really fascinating, the power of the mind, right? So tell us a little bit about what your days looked like then. Like, how did you, again, I don't think this is anything that, or something that most people can or will ever do. So walk us through the mental, I want to call it toughness, but that all almost sounds a little too rigid, but obviously this is like a mental thing at, at that point. Walk us through a little bit about what got you through and able to complete this 40 day fast. Yeah. I would say what got me through <clears throat> was almost like one, since it was so intuitive and it wasn't like, this is a challenge I'm going to do. I think my body just subconsciously at all levels just knew this was happening. So there wasn't like a doubt in my mind where I, I like wasn't going to do it. And I think that helped in terms of like, I wasn't hungry ever. Like I, I was, I was very energetic throughout the whole thing. Even on day 40, I had plenty of energy, especially brain energy. Um, so I think that helped a lot, but in it, because it was so intuitive and not just a challenge, like 75 hard, which is just like grit and, you know, discipline and you got to do it since it was more intuitive, it was more primal in the sense that naturally it just forced me to be in the present moment. So like say I'm on day three and you know, we're at a dinner because there's a lot of dinners like where I live. You know, I live with a bunch of other people. There's always dinners and social gatherings and stuff. It's usually around food. You know, I'm at a dinner on day three. If I then started to project out 37 more days of this, I'd be like, oh my gosh. Likewise, if I was on day three and I started to look back, be like, damn, like seven days ago, I was at the beach in Avalon, New Jersey, like enjoy life, like eating whatever. So I think just like primarily, it just forced me to be in that space between the past and the future, which is the present moment. And in that moment, you don't project out anything. So you don't live in fear. You don't live in anxiety. You don't live in, 
these altered, these other states, irrational states, you're just in this moment, like right now, right now, one step at a time, right now, at all times. And there's peace in that presence. So I think that truly like by being forced to collapse time in the moment is what enabled me to get through it relatively without like, yeah, I, 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 it wasn't, it wasn't like the biggest challenge in the world, I guess it was hard, but, but, but I think that was the hardest part was making sure I stayed present. So, so it sounds like a 40 day meditation. Is that right? In a way, yeah, in a way it would, it was. And like when I, afterwards I felt just in the present moment still. So like it remained just like if you meditate for 30 minutes or go on a long run, which is a form of meditation in a way. And then 30 minutes later, it lasts, like you still feel present or like there, you're, you're clear. So yeah, in a way it was a meditation in a sense, cause that's what meditation is just like trying to collapse into the present moment. And then hopefully you build that muscle, that present moment, and it can last beyond the actual practice of meditation. So yeah, that's a good way to, good way to put it. So it sounds like there wasn't really a point or was there during this fast that you thought, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to do this, or maybe I shouldn't do it. There was never a point where I thought I wasn't going to be able to. And truthfully, there was never a point where I was like, I'm going to stop. But there was one day I think where I was like, I don't know, it was like day 20, no, it was day like 14. So it was right after, like I, I, I stopped, I, I stopped posting on social media. I told my family I stopped, right? So I had to, and I hate lying. It's like my number one pet peeve. So I had to like basically lie to my family in order for them to not live in this fearful state. And I think on that day, I was just like, what, why am I doing this? It wasn't that I was going to stop and it wasn't that I wasn't going to make it. It was more just like me questioning even that gut feeling that I had in the beginning. Like, why, like, why am I doing this? Like, you know, what is the, cause it wasn't a challenge once again, it wasn't like a, wasn't anything. So it was just a reflection in a way, like deep down, like, why, why is this happening? Like, why, why am I doing this? Why, why did I feel like intuitively called to do this? And that was the only day that that happened. Um, And other than that, it was just, yeah, it was was inevitable. Okay. So after 40 days, okay, this is the day that you're breaking your fast. How, what did that look like? How did you reintegrate back into consuming food? How long did it take for your stomach to feel normal? Walk us through that whole experience of having food and something besides water for the first time in 40 days. Yeah. So for a reason, like early on in the fast, I was like, the first thing I'm going to bring back, like when I come back is going to be raw milk, raw honey, and raw cacao. And I was like, that's what I'm going to do. So I knew I was going to do that I kind of like planned, I had some friends, they, what's that? Sorry, I shouldn't have interrupted you, but I'm curious. How did you pick those three foods? Cause you, you were said it so for sure and certain you were like, I'm having this, this, and this, like, where did that come from? Yeah, it was, it was once again, very intuitive, but then like, it was like the, these just like came, came like, yeah, I think this is the best thing. But then when I thought of, I think there's a lot of things that happen. Like they usually comes from the brain and the heart. There's literally like brain and a heart, the heart, the gut, like that in, intuitiveness and then our logical analytical mind starts to explain why so from the explanation of the why from the analytical mind the milk i mean if you think about it like what's the first thing we consume every mammal consumes when they're born 
you know, it's just raw milk, right? And then honey was always a very like special thing to me. I always loved bees and the infinite nature of honey. Like it's this just super food, this like anomaly of nature that, you know, it, it is in a way the, it is birth. It's a form of conception, like with, through the pollination, it's what allows all these plants to occur and then creates this infinite byproduct called honey. Um, so like it re- resembled like kind of that infinite nature of who we are. And I was like, honey, that that's it. And then cacao, you know, I'm working with a, a cacao company with my cousins and my friend Thomas on the farm. They're all drinking cacao and cacao is uh, like an ancient kind of medicine that now has been industrialized to turn into chocolate with processed sugars. But cacao in and of itself comes from like a cow tree and these heirloom trees in like Mexico or Ecuador or Southern South uh, America. And it was used to like open up the heart. And that was what a lot of this journey was on was like kind of tapping into my subconscious, tapping into my, you know, right side of my brain, my, my emotional side, tapping into my heart and everything. So cacao kind of resembled that. And in its nature, the cacao, like it actually does stimulate the circulatory system, which is the cardiovascular system. So from a health perspective also does that. So that's why I chose those three. And it was very clear. Like it was just very clear. These are the first things, three things I'm doing. And how did they taste? <laughs> oh my gosh. It was like immaculate. It was psychedelic. There's a picture a video of me and I'm just like frozen of just like gratitude and, and like, what? Cause it was the first thing, first thing that I like tasted, like water doesn't really have a taste. It just is type of thing. It's like the baseline. So it was the first time I had that taste and I was just like, whoa, the raw milk was just like nourishing. And then the honey, like that sweet, it was like, like it was almost like a drug. I was like, whoa, that was potent. Um, so yeah, it was, it was, almost psychedelic tasting it. Insane. I can't even imagine like tasting after 40 days of not tasting anything, but being conscious the entire time. Um, How long did it take before you were eating things like meat and eating like normal? Like how long did it take for your stomach to kind of readjust? So originally I thought it would take a while and I kind of like was like, I was just like, I'm, I'm going to just do intuitive eating. So like, see how I feel, like eat, see how I feel, eat more, if I feel good. And the first day I started with that raw milk, honey, cacao, I was going to do one sip. I ended up just downing the whole thing. That same day, a few hours later, I was like, all right, let me try a smoothie. I mean, I downed it and it was delicious, felt amazing. I was like, let me try a whole food, like a avocado, like not crushed up, just a whole fruit. Had it, felt amazing. And then at nighttime, I was making like a bone broth, something light to go easy on myself. And then Chef Thomas, who I live with, came back with like a full chicken and just cut it in half. He's like, you want it? I'm like, I'll give it a try. And I just, I tried it, felt amazing. And I had the whole chicken. So the first day I had like full meal, um, like everything back. And from there on, I was just, yeah, I was, I was, I was good to go. So it was very fast. Like I was surprised by that. That's interesting. So how post fast life, it's been several months now that you've had to reflect on this experience. 
And I'm sure as time goes on, you start to probably take different things away from the experience, even though the experience itself didn't change, right? What are, how are some of the ways in which this fast changed you? Yeah, I would say a lot of the ways. I say that, you know, the fast was 40 days. It was only 40 days. Like post fast is the rest of my life. So periodically, I still have these just like breakthroughs of emotion or, or just like these information or just like insights post fast. I would say the biggest thing was just, you know, I felt reborn mind, body and soul. And after it, since I was in that meditative state in the present moment for 40 days, I, I was like now functioning in society, you know, like eating a normal person, but I still had that state like of being in the present moment. And it was insane what was happening through it by being in that present moment. I started like everything started flowing, like, you know, up space, there was like booming, like things were like rolling in every area of my life. And it felt just so natural. I almost felt like I was living in a dream in a way. It was, it was like a kind of a weird time frame. So I think the biggest takeaway from that, like, especially as it's gone further away, you know, I try just try to ground myself to like get back to that present moment. Cause I can find myself going back to, you know, maybe projecting out into the future or, living the past or worrying about things or whatever it might be. And I'm like, no, that like when I was in that present moment, that's when peace existed, but also like so much abundance existed there because I was just on the right path. Um, So that's been the biggest takeaway is just now my metrics for success are how good am I at being in the present moment? Like, am I in this moment right now rather than all the other worldly measures of success? And that's like my number one focus. And as I do that, the better I do it, and I deviate sometimes now, but as I do it, all the other metrics that I would have set for myself are better. Like they turn out better. At least they feel, the perception feels as if they turn out better because I'm just in this moment at all times. So that's probably the biggest takeaway. Like that's my version of success today is, is remaining in that, that current, that, that, present, that present moment. I think that's so important what you said about finding a different way to measure your success because there's so much noise in the world and we don't even need to do anything besides look at our phone to hear and be surrounded and like encapsulated by the noise. And I think a large portion of what is so toxic, I guess, but also so beautiful, like about social media is that you, this isn't the beautiful part about it, but I think it's very easy to look at someone else at what they're doing and measure yourself in, in ways that you're not even trying to necessarily like do better in, right? You like, you might feel like inspired by someone that's doing, you know, this, and then you start questioning like, well, shoot, well, what have I done to like challenge my inner, you know, like being the present moment? Like, oh, now I suck because I am just constantly distracted. And like, there's all these things like that perpetuate and bring a sense of comparison to things that you didn't even need to, you didn't need to go there. (laughs) You know what I mean? Let alone the areas that you're actually trying to improve, like be it your, your business or your health or your fitness, right? Or your body composition. Like there are just too many things in which we use these arbitrary measuring sticks. Like everyone is on their own journey. And I think, I think 
what's special about being able to see what people do and what people are capable of is that there's a very small population of people that are meant to be exposed to us to show us what is possible, right? I want to see like who's breaking the fastest mile, like who's breaking the world record doing this, who's doing this after putting in 10,000 hours of practice, right? Or what is possible if I were to commit to this? But then there's also people that are exposed to us to show us what is probable if we just stay the course too. But I think too often we look at the people of like, oh, this is like what what's a possibility. And we start to chase that like too quickly when, when really it's just stay the course of like what you're doing and the likelihood of you ending up at your success or like what you want out of the change that you're making is very probable, right? So that's, that's always what I'm like wanting to inspire, especially, I mean, not especially in line and on in person is like, this is what's possible if you just like commit and stay the course, you know, I'm not trying to be like a, Oh, this is what's possible. Like one out of a million, you know, success. Yeah. hundred percent. And what you said there, like the journey, like the journey is the success. And like Huberman will talk about this, even from a neuroscientific perspective, like when you make the journey, the success, you're going to have this long lasting release of dopamine Versus if it's just the end destination, not only are you going to be miserable in the pursuit of that end destination, but you're going to have a spike of dopamine and then a massive crash once it's all over. And we see this all the time in some of the most successful people in the world across all categories, whether it's music success, you know, movie success, entrepreneur, like business, like money success, whatever those successes are. Granted, like not saying don't pursue great things or do great things, but the success truly is in the journey. And, and, and really, if you dumb it down, the success is just in the moment. Like whatever I am pursuing, I'd rather enjoy every single freaking moment. And then those material successes, like maybe the billion dollars or the you know fame or the recognition for the hard work, those are just like little subtle reminders like, hey, you're on the right path or like little... Not even that, like they're just little like trophies, but I don't really care about a trophy. Like I care about the success and the success is not the trophy. Like just any athlete would tell you, like who gives a shit about the trophy? They care about the playoff run and the championship, but even that they play, they care about the fact that they get to play the game, right? So I think that's, that's like the lesson. It's like, it's, it's just like the moment is a success and that's way more fulfilling of a life then, then it'll, it'll lead you to way more abundance too. Like it'll lead you to more success because you'll carry this state, this aura around you. That's just like peaceful or grateful or it's, it's like a magnetic thing. And uh, yeah, that's, that's what can be lost sometimes on social media to your point or in the comparison trap or whatever it might be. I could not agree with you more about the journey being, you know, like fall in love with the process and who you become, because that's, that's one thing that is uncertain about pursuing anything, right? Like you could pursue the goal, you know, what the end goal would be and what you would achieve by doing it. You have no clue the growth that 
will happen and who you will become in the process. And that is something that I think we miss out on is who we become in the process. Right. And I think that that is exactly what you're saying. The success is, is like, am I growing? Am I evolving? Am I being present? Am I grateful? Am I leading with love? All of these like really basic principles that get lost on us in the pursuit of more money or uh, recognition at a job or online or whatever it is. And I do find so much more joy in like being able to have flexibility in my day, right? Like even if every day doesn't go perfect, like my success is living life by design. Like what a blessing that is. And I know that not every day is glamorous or feels like it's extra special, but it's the mundane, like cannot be lost on us. Or yes, you're right. You will, you will end up in like pursuing happiness when happiness is not a destination. You will chase it forever, right? If if you end up doing that. So exactly. that is something that I feel like immensely when I talk to you is that you are very, you are always like working on on that and spreading that message. And that's something that I really appreciate you. And I hope that a lot of people can take, you know, take that away from, from this conversation. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's, it's kind of like a, it's, it's paradoxical though, too. Cause it's like, if you're pursuing the happiness, you actually have worse outcomes. Like, so, so the, the, that's the irony. It's like actually by the, the success and the happiness is right now in this moment, you have better outcomes in that. So even if we were going to live in this like material logical world, it actually makes way more sense to live by our philosophy still because it's more sustainable and it's better. That's the same like kind of paradox in the beginning. We talk about like the fear and love, right? Right. You can't, if your intention is to spread love, you can't do it with fear, although the intention might be love. So you have to just do it with love and that's what's going to spread the love and have a better outcome. It's like this, even though like you feel like this is bad for someone, well, you don't love them by criticizing them or judging them or doing these things. Like you spread love by them by loving them and believing in them and trusting them. And then in turn, that leads to the better outcome. So there's, it's, it's a similar paradox there where what you don't think would be the true lead to the better outcome actually is what leads to the better outcome in the long run. I've told you this before, but a lot of how you speak sounds so much like John Maxwell. And I'm going to reference a book for someone that is listening that might be, be hearing this and feel like it's very abstract because this like lead with love and do things out of love. You're like, okay, well, how do I do that? Right. And to me, there are certain things where it's like do or do not, there is no how, but a book that really, really made this super clear, like exactly what you're talking about, this mission and this philosophy that like everybody should live by is a book called The Carpenter. And I know I've told you about this book, but mm-hmm. um, if everyone should pick up this book, if you're wondering like, how can I lead with more love and be more love in the world, pick up that book. It is a totally life-changing book. So I'm probably going to link that in the show notes for people that are like, I need a reference to this. Um, Sean, thank you so much. Amazing energy and your incredible journey to, you know, with your 40 day fast with us. I, I really hope that it is received very well by, by the Mindset Mile audience. Is there anything else that you wanted to add? No, I mean, thank you for having me on and, uh, thank you for being such a great human yourself and being an example to the Mindset Mile. I mean, it's the same, same exact thing. 
it's just the mindset mile living it living in the moment one step at a time in the mile yes yep exactly well sean thank you so much we will see you next time and until then make it a great day 